This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. My next guest is a performer and composer lyricist originally from Orange County, California. Her musical works have been performed in venues across the country, and she has performed herself on stages from New York City to Tokyo, Japan. She has worked at New York City Center, where she assisted the choreography team on Evita and assisted um, assistant directed off-Broadway on the New York premiere of Lolita, My Love at the York Theater and A Man for All Seasons at Theater Row. She is most recently um, collaborating with The Lightning Thief's Rob Rokiki on Breathe, a show conceived and written during the pandemic by New York Times bestselling novelist Jody Picoult and playwright Timothy Allen McDonald. It is my great pleasure to introduce you today to Rebecca Murillo. Rebecca, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Where are you calling in from today? Um, specifically my closet. More broadly, um, I'm calling from, from Harlem, New York City. So tell me a little bit about the Breathe Project. It sounds really interesting and, and like so very relevant, right? How did you get involved in that? It's actually a really crazy story. So I, when I was at Pace University, I took the musical theater writing class and I got to write shows with my classmates and we had a cumulative show that the freshmen performed our work at. And Robert Kiki actually went to that show, the season that I wrote, and that's the first time we met. And very kind, had said that he liked my songs. Um, Jump to, I'm in Japan performing West Side Story in a international production. And Robert Kiki and his wife, Amanda Flynn, are also in Japan. So I ended up getting them tickets. And we met again there. We got to like chat a little bit. And then April of 2020, so we're like a month into the pandemic, I get an email and it's from Robert Kiki. And he's like, I remember your songs from Hatched uh, and I'm doing this project. And I think I want to bring a writing partner on. Like, can we get on a phone call and talk about it? And one thing led to another. And then I was on a Zoom call with Tim and Jody and then we spent the rest of 2020 writing this musical that is so cool how exciting right (laughs) I mean I the thing is it's really crazy to think about these songs I wrote when I was 21 22 leading years later to like be in this room with with Robert Kiki who's taught me like so much about songwriting and like performing and producing I mean this is the first time I've been behind the table in this way as a writer Mm -hmm. so it's been an incredible learning experience yeah no doubt and I'm so curious to know if you can talk to me about that space between the time that you know the excitement died down the reality set in before you started what's weird is I feel like I never had that period that like Mm -hmm. grace period of getting to like let it all sink in I still feel like that period hasn't ended as I'm here in New York to do things for breathe so I get the call and I I I truly think like in the matter of a week I'm on a zoom call with all the other writers which is like Dan Mertzloff and Kate 
and um, Douglas Lyons and Ethan Pakachar. And I'm just kind of sitting here like, I know all of your work. <laughs> mm-hmm. And here I am in the room. And this is, this is very exciting. And I think because I was so removed, I wrote the whole show from California, from mm. my childhood bedroom. Because mm-hmm. I had moved back. Once the pandemic hit, I had run out of my sublet. I had lost my job. So I just packed up everything and moved back to my parents. So I wrote this whole show from my childhood bedroom, was never face-to-face with anyone physically, was always on Zoom calls, met my director, met my cast, all virtually, saw the whole thing being recorded at the 92nd Y in my bedroom. (laughs) So I feel like I never realized like how real this thing was until I was in the recording studio with Rob and Danae Benton. And I was like, oh, okay. This is real. This wasn't a fever dream I had throughout of throughout 2020. Mm. Wow. That's that's so um so interesting. I'm hearing so many things like on the one hand you're saying you you were and still are completely absorbed in the process. Meaning you were saying like it's funny when you think about process as the journey, right? Versus mm-hmm. the time you need to process which you've never had because you've actually just been in the process like you're literally um, continuing to be in it, which is, which is really fascinating, right? Do you think there'll be a moment at which you'll be able to take, pardon the pun, but a breath um, and, and reflect back on? Like, is there, is there any sort of sense of what that might look like for you when it's, you know, when it's up and running and you're moving on to the next thing? I think it will be opening night. We technically do have an opening night uh, planned and it's the day that the album releases mm. on May 14th. So I think I think it's going to be the act of like opening Spotify and being able to say, see a very personal song I wrote <laughs> for these two characters who are very personal to me singing on a platform that is available to all. I think a mixture of that and like sitting in the 92nd Y watching what we created for essentially mm. an entire year. Are you going to actually get to be there? Are you going to go? Yeah. I, I unsure about how the COVID protocols and all that work, but we have a, we have a date, we have an invitation. So I think it'll be sitting in the room with everybody who created the piece. And for me meeting everybody for the first time, yeah. <laughs> then I will be like, okay, we, I, I helped create a very special thing. And I think it will now officially sink in that, I've done that. Very exciting. Um, I'm so curious to know, you know, obviously we're busy, um, you know, thankfully very busy during this time doing something really meaningful. It's been a challenging year for all of us, obviously. What, what would you say um, for you personally has, has been the biggest challenge for you during this time? I think I am a person who, who's pretty good at isolation. That's just my, been my personality since I was very young. Um, I knew very at a very young age how to be alone with myself, but I think it was allowing myself to grow and not wanting to stay the same person or in the same spot that I was. Like, I think at the top of the pandemic, a lot of us thought this was a two week stint. This was going to be two months at the most. Mm -hmm. And I already was like, okay, I lost my one theater job. I'm going to be back performing for my, my summer gig and I'll be doing all this stuff I had already planned on doing my life will like continue the way I want it to and the more and more apparent that we weren't going to go back to normal that 
people were dying that there were there are other things on the table that like were important I think I it took a while for me to let go and be like I'm not going to be the same person I was I'm probably not going to be even the same performer I was now I'm very grateful for that now I'm very happy with the person I've become after sitting with myself for a year but I think the hardest thing was letting go of who I thought I needed to be and what I had already planned out my like life to be. Mm. And I think if I hadn't done that, I don't think breathe would have come into my life the same way it has now. Interesting. Do you have a sense that you were open to receive in a different way and that's why it came to you? I think so. And I think I think that once I was able to accept that, like, it just, we just can't have the life that we had before. I was more excited about seeing the possibilities of what could be built mm. and who I could become. And like the new person I had yet to meet, but was like now willing to invite to be discovered. Yeah, absolutely. That's really beautiful. I'm hearing that, um, that your biggest challenge turned into the biggest gift. Yeah, that's actually a really nice way of putting it. I actually hadn't even been able to verbalize that until you asked me this question right now. I just knew that something like had drastically changed and I had to mourn the loss of like who I thought I was going to be. But yeah, I think, I think it's, it's nice to be able to sit and celebrate it now. Mm. And I think it helps with healing from, like what a crazy year it has been. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you um, are, you know, you're a young person and that, (laughs) that brings with it all of those limiting beliefs about what you should do next and the systems in place that you were willing to follow. It sounds like, because you knew how to do it. And so one job gets taken away. All right, well, I've still got seven other things down the pipeline. And then you started to realize that it wasn't just the jobs being taken away. The system is changing. Yeah. I think it's the systems are changing. And, 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 and again, I'm, I'm, I'm 24. I'm very young and not to bash other 20 year olds, but like your 20, like, I feel like your twenties are in a good way and a bad way, very selfish. Mm. And I think I had to learn that it's not all about like what my trajectory is. It's about the people in my life and, I think it just got my priorities in check. Mm. And that's not to say like theater is not important. I think theater is very important and I will continue to be doing theater, whether that's behind the table or in front. I just think even my priorities within theater have changed and Mm -hmm. what I think is important work and what I think I should spend my time doing. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, In the work that I do, we talk so much about connecting to our values and I'm hearing that loud and clear through what you're saying yeah and I think that's a lesson that I comes with time and I think I would have learned it later if we hadn't had to stop the world Mm. and I think when when the thing that you wake up at four in the morning to go do every day like the act of auditioning the act of callbacks the act of doing rehearsals and performing when that goes away does that then take away who you are as an internal being and I realized there was a lot of, there was a lot of things I was putting on theater to define myself. 
And that when you take theater away, I didn't know how to define myself anymore. And I think that's a lesson I probably would have learned. Probably would have been later in my life, though. Being alone or with my family for a year made me have to, like, look internally and figure out who am I if I don't have theater? Mm-hmm. And now that I know who I am, how do I go back to theater and make it a place I want to work at and make it a place that feels good for me and for everyone around me? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you've discovered about yourself um, during this time? A big thing I think I've realized recently is it's always that thing where like you look back at things and you're able to see it better or understand things better. Like, Mm -hmm. like 2020 vision, like you look back and you're like, Oh, I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand things better than I did when I was 18. Then when I was 22, 23, even because now we've had a whole year of this pandemic. And I think one of the big things I realized is, I've been told a lot through my career that um, I had to choose, I had to be one thing. If I wanted to be a director, I had to leave performing. If I wanted to be a composer, I needed to spend all hours of the day doing that and not be on stage. And I think one of the big things I'm realizing now, but has been building up through this pandemic is if it's really something you're passionate about, there's no either or, like it's, you can be multifaceted and make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big thing I learned is I was tired of hearing no. And so I was like, I'm going to make what I can make possible. Yeah. Sounds like you turned no into yes and. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, and, and the thing is, I, I know my own limits. And that's another thing. Actually, another thing I would add on to that is I've now learned my emotional and like work limits. Like I used to just like work really hard, be so burned out, um, unable to function specifically in college, but even after college. And I think I was able to set boundaries Mm. and be like, I am, I'm doing this and I would like to say yes to this thing, but I also would like to sleep well at night. So I'm going to put this on hold. Um, Thank you for the opportunity. And I'll come back to it when I have the time. Mm. Honoring yourself. Yeah. And I think it's a mixture of those two of like being yes and, but then also knowing when I've hit my limitations and knowing that, especially when it comes to something like writing, where it's something like it's on my time, I can always come back to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hadn't written, I hadn't sat down and worked on a musical I'd been writing for almost two years when Breathe came knocking on my door. So that for me was like, okay, doesn't, I, I will leave all the doors open, but I'll never just say no, just because, just because I can't be more than one thing. Mm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. When we're making choices that we make value-based choices and we make conscious-based choices, not fear-based, right? What do I have to give up in order to say yes to this? And then how do you do that if two things are wonderful? Well, you check in with your values, which is exactly what you just demonstrated. What was your value there? when you were saying, saying no to something and putting it on the back burner? I think it's a mixture of things. I think it's being able to go to bed at a decent hour. Um, but I also think it's creative energy. Mm. 
because I think I have found if I put too much creative energy at once and I go to something else immediately, mm-hmm. there's nothing to pull from. Mm-hmm. When we finished Breathe, I moved on to go work on another piece I had been writing and there was nothing. And only now am I like, oh, okay, I could touch that piece maybe in a week or so, maybe in a month or so. It's been a lesson for me to be, okay, I need to either put time between things or I need to know that I have enough energy for both. Because mm. I, I just don't want to be in a place where even if I'm like behind the table and being like, I don't know. Um, I, and it's not even that I don't know. It's I don't have anything to pull from. I don't have, yep. I don't have ideas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that makes, that makes so, so much sense. And we are so programmed to say yes, especially when the opportunities are great. I think, yeah, there's, there's benefit in saying yes, Anne, because that's how you start meeting people. That's how you start your career. But I think there's a little bit of unlearning that needs to happen as you like start to figure out what you're doing and what you want to do. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I get why you interpreted the yes and as that, because I guess that is sort of the way it is in the world, which is just sort of add on to say yes, just say yes. It's funny for me, um, just to share with you, I think of yes and I think of the and as it relates to me. Oh, okay. If that makes sense. So it's not like, yes, and I'm going to do something else, but more like, yes, and this is why it's important to me. How does it connect to me? if that makes sense. That's so much more intriguing. I like that definition better because that just makes it more clear and more personal. And I think that makes the work better when you know why you're doing something. Exactly. So, you know, instead of just saying yes for yes sake, you're saying, yes, I'm interested in doing that. And this is why. And maybe I can't because, you know, so the ands are all sort of just thinking about it, thinking, you know, giving yourself that, that space between, you know, thought and action, literally, you know? Yeah, I like that. What is your definition of living in the moment? The first word that came to mind is authenticity. Hmm. And I think this is something I've personally discovered with myself, and I'm sure many other people have during quarantine, is what do I put on to exist in the world? And when am I just genuinely myself? And I found the moments of life that I enjoy the most are when there's nothing to be put on. It's just me existing. For me, living in the moment is when you're able to absorb what is going on around you and like listen and see what is happening while you yourself are not putting anything on. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. How often would you say you're able to practice that? (laughs) It's a good question. I, f- I feel like I can, I can clock it better now. I feel like there are times where I'll, I will be talking to certain people and I'm like, why is my voice pitching higher? Mm. Why are my mannerisms changing? Why, why am I changing my speech pattern or my vocabulary right now? And some of it is, is between, you know, code switching between friends and family and coworkers and other things are a little bit more Like for me, it's the voice pitching. I really Mm. caught it during quarantine. I was like, I put on a high, like I just put on this voice that just, I've been carrying for so long and I don't think it's me. I try to practice being as authentic and not putting on a version of myself as much as I can. I know I slip up every once in a while or I forget, but 
I try to practice it as much as I can. When I realized like I don't need to change the way I talk, I was like, okay, I don't, that, that empowers me. Cause now when I find myself in rooms and I'm like, I'm not putting anything on, I feel powerful because mm. they're seeing me as me. Um, and then you also acknowledge that other people, you know, come through their, you know, feel their, find their empowerment in different ways. And then you mentioned the heels. Now it's interesting because the, you know, what people wear definitely can, can make you feel sometimes when you, when you wear a certain <laughs> shirt or something, you, for some reason, you just feel better. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, right? I put on a Leduca boot and my whole world changes. I'm like, yeah. I'm the most powerful woman in the entire world. <laughs> it's, yeah. No. And it's, it's brilliant. No, it's so interesting though, because if you dig deeper and this is the fun, this is what I love doing, but like there's, there's a deeper thing in there. It's not the boot. The boot makes you feel a certain way. And then you want to find out what it is that, that you need to feel to feel powerful. The, the boot is definitely, you know, a conduit to that, mm -hmm. but the actual feeling of being empowered is, is connected to stuff that you already have. Let me say. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I never thought of it that way. I was just like, always like, where's the boot, but um, totally. <laughs> that makes sense. So like, God forbid the boot break, because if you really think that that's your power or giving you the power, then you're done. Which isn't to say that you don't feel fabulous when you put on the boot. They can both exist at the same time. And that's actually very, so I think being authentically myself, not changing myself, but also having sticking to my strong point of view is a big one that gives me power. Mm -hmm. And the thing that breaks me, if like we're saying like the Laduka boot breaks, the thing that breaks me is when I realize I've lied about my point of view. Mm. I've lied about something that intrinsically I'm passionate about yep. to fit in to a room, to fit into a job, to fit into a project, to fit into an audition across the board. And that's the thing I walk away feeling icky about. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've, regardless of what happens with job or peace, I now feel like someone knows an inauthentic version of me. Yeah. Oh yeah. So no, but the fact that you feel shitty about it is fantastic because it's telling you that you're, you're not honoring your values. And I think it takes a second. Cause I mean, I would say almost throughout college, I, I changed the way I thought about things to match with the majority. And I think it's just as I, these things are happening in my life and I'm coming into my own and people are like, what do you want? What do you want to do? I'm realizing I can't be wishy-washy about the things I want to do or nothing will get like nothing will happen, mm. especially when it comes to like diversity and inclusion. I mean, that's, that's what got me behind the table in the first place, like making sure people of color feel safe and feel seen. And for me, if I'm not even a hundred percent sure about my stance on that, how is anyone else supposed to feel comfortable or, or safe? Yeah. If the goal becomes to be not to be empowered, but to be yourself, Mm -hmm. then you can't fail in any situation because even if someone doesn't receive you as yourself, it doesn't matter because your goal was to be yourself and you showed up that way. Yeah. I think it's just what you were saying, like sitting down and being like, okay, I can't judge younger me. Younger me didn't know. And why mm -hmm. she did those things probably out of, you know, wanting to be liked by peers insecurities, not knowing any different. Um, but yeah, I can't judge younger me for that. I just have to try and make best version of slightly older me. 
Well, and what's beautiful about that is just like we said earlier with the, you know, the gift from the discomfort of this year and the challenges of this year, younger self has given you a gift now of knowing what works and what doesn't work for you. Yeah. And I think that was really prominent when I was living where younger self used to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was very weird to inhabit a place I had last lived in when I was 18 years old. Yeah. And yeah. in a bedroom that was designed when I was 16, like it mm-hmm. was very odd <laughs> to be 23 sitting in that space and being like, okay, yeah. um, I know who I was. Now let's figure out who I want to be and who I'm going to be. Yeah. Well, that leads perfectly to this question I had for you. (laughs) (laughs) Great. I love a good segue. I love a good segue. (laughs) So if nothing, nothing ever stood in your way, what would your life look like? Oh my gosh. The first thing I wanted to say was I would be where I had always dreamed of being, but I don't even know what that is anymore. (laughs) Mm. Like when I heard that question, I thought, oh, I'm trying to do that currently. Like I'm trying to be not scared to um, try new things, whether that's as simp- whether that's like writing a musical or whether that's like jumping out of an airplane. Mm-hmm. Not like that's something on my to-do list for the next month, but something I thought about because I thought if, if nothing's standing in my way, what would I try? What, if anything, do you think stands between you and who you want to be? The fear of being wrong. Hmm. specifically being wrong in that it hurts others my, 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 my brain jumped to work so being mm-hmm. a part of creating inclusive work and trying to make spaces where people like me and not like me who want equity mm-hmm. can feel safe to create and and I don't know why my brain jumped to that. I think it's just a big conversation I've been having for myself and like what I want to be doing in the future mm-hmm. and what stops me from the big things I want to accomplish in my future of lending a helping hand with that is the fear of being wrong. Mm. Even though I know when you're wrong, you then get to like figure out, okay, that didn't work. So what's right. But because it's all, because it's, it's now just not me. It's me trying to, it's me trying to uplift community. And now it's not just me. It's me and other voices that scares me. Mm-hmm. It exists. The fear exists. It's there for a reason. Yeah. 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 And it reveals some other beautiful things. Yeah. I, I had bad fight or flight in college. I mean, yeah. I would leave rooms. I was crying all the time. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that when, they're talking about musical theater college, which mm-hmm. for me, I'm, I'm very saddened by that because I think it's, it happens a lot more than people think it happens, whether that's oh, yeah. in front of your class or whether it's alone in a bathroom or alone in wherever your living situation is. But yeah, it's, it, the biggest growth is coming, becoming f- friends with your fight or flight and having a dialogue with it in this way you're saying where it's like why does it make me feel like this yes and then from there okay who am I and who am I and what makes me feel like this what doesn't and how do I best help myself in these situations as opposed to thinking this means I can't perform ever again that's not it that's not it at all no that's exactly right hey um Rebecca where do you see yourself say in five years 
I do see myself doing more of kind of what I'm doing now. I think what's hard about five years is to me, sometimes five years seems like it's a million years away. Mm -hmm. And then I also think about how the last two years have just flown so quickly. And there's a part of me that wants to say, I'll be doing exactly what I'm doing, writing, performing, um, directing, choreographing on and off throughout the five years. And then there's a part of me that wants to say that in five years, I hope that the expertise that I've gotten along the way and the multifaceted things I'm able to do would help me to be in a position where I could help create spaces. I hope that if I'm not here in New York, that I'm somewhere where I'm able to do work that cultivates safe spaces and encourages people who are like me. Yeah, that's beautiful. What do you know will be true about you no matter what happens? Wow. Um, I will always be a student of the world. I used to have this mentality of, oh, I'm too young to pick this up. I even had this with dancing, surprisingly enough, where I was like, ah, I've, I'm too old to do the dancing thing. <laughs> that was false. I think I, I've come to this realization that I just love to learn. I mean, mm. I just picked up the mandolin a month ago because I was like, I haven't learned anything in a while. Like, I want to learn something else. What can I learn? What can I learn about songwriting? What can I learn about these programs that I've never worked with? What can I learn about recording? I've never recorded an album. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not something that's going to go away because I think that's just intrinsically how I got to this position, how I got here. I, I just, I never put myself in this thing where I was like, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. It was more like, I want to learn what that is. Mm. Yeah. I love that. All right. Um, so we're going to just play what makes you the first thing sort of that comes to your mind. Let's say. Okay. All right. So what makes you hungry? <laughs> My first thought was literally the Food Network. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. <laughs> I had to. I and I didn't even think about like the hunger for the art. Like I totally was just like, I see them cooking a chicken and I'm like, I need chicken. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. Now that's living in the moment, man. All right. What makes you laugh? My sister. My sister is probably the funniest person I've ever met. And I'm very grateful that she's my sister. Um, what makes you sad? Like growing apart. Like when... When there's someone in your life who you've known, but then you just realize like they're just growing out of your life and that's not in a negative way. It's just, you're growing into two different people that you don't, that don't mesh well together and are probably not going to be in their lives the same way. Hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. What inspires you? There was a lot of names of actors that just rushed to the top of my head, hmm. like actors and creatives. So I will just sum that all up to like representation. Mm -hmm. Like when I see someone who looks like me or who sounds like my grandparents or looks like my parents or my sister or my community, um, it makes me want to celebrate it which is something I kind of forget to do sometimes during these times 
because it's always like let's have these deep conversations about how like you should exist in the world and so, or exist in theater unions or exist in theater and I think we forget to like step back and be like it's a, it should be a celebration it should be a celebration of of for me specifically of Hispanic people, of Latino people, of actors I get to see and I'm like, I want to do what they're doing or people who are on television. I'm like, you remind me of my grandma and that makes me so happy, inspired, makes me want to do that for someone else. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what makes you curious? First thing came to my head was like movies. There's something about the medium of film and like, what you can do with it, specifically animation, but even just film in general. What makes you angry? Ignorance. <laughs> Ignorance across the table. I, 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 I don't know. That, I don't know. I, I, I felt that very deep in my chest when I say ignorance, but it's just, I just, it, it, it's just the world as it is right now with everything that's happening and it's just, it, it angers me so much. Mm. What makes you grateful? It's almost cheesy, but just the gift of life. I don't mm. think, I don't think I've been as appreciative of it as I have been since this started. Looking back, I mean, it, it's sad. Like we should all be appreciating the life that we have, but it really took the worst year ever to fully under appreciate that and see that both in myself, in the people around me, and in the people like I don't know, and just like humans who inhabited my space and this earth, like, I think I'm just very grateful for it. And, and, and it's a bummer that took a pandemic to see it the way I currently see it now. But I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Amen, sister. What are the top three things that happened so far today? Today? Mm-hmm. They're very mundane, but I've made myself an excellent fried egg. Um, I listened to a very, a, a new musical I'm very interested in called Ernest Shackleton Loves Me. And, and I got to talk with my roommates for a little bit. Little things. What are you most looking forward to? Today, probably my mandolin lesson. Mm. It's something I'm still, I've never played a string instrument. I've always been a keyboard girl, but um, I wanted to do something that was going to be a bit more challenging. And I have this, I have this dream of like being a self-playing mandolin player, either on stage or off. So I'm step-by-step just trying to make that dream a reality. (laughs) (laughs) How cool is that? That's so cool. I can't wait to hear it. So Rebecca, listen, I so appreciate you taking the time to be in the moment with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I haven't, I haven't gotten to talk about art in this way in a long time or just like myself and my life. So I really appreciate this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I've been speaking today with Rebecca Maria. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe and healthy and remember to live in the moment. In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. 
in the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.